Hi there, I'm Derek Thorne with more audio news from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Over a third of child deaths and 11% of the world's total disease burden are caused by undernutrition in mothers and babies. These stark facts are published in a special series just out in The Lancet. At a press conference in London, Zulfika Buta told Sarah Maxwell about his study findings and in particular about the risks of not breastfeeding adequately. We looked at exactly 388 data sets from 139 countries to derive these new estimates of the prevalence of stunting, which is being short, of low weight for height, which is being wasted. And we also looked at the older indicator as well, which has been used traditionally, which is just being underweight, being below a certain weight for norm, which we don't think is that good an indicator as compared to the other previous ones from a programmatic perspective. You also touched on suboptimal breastfeeding patterns. How did you define suboptimal breastfeeding? The general global ideal recommendation is to start early and to exclusively breastfeed with nothing else for the first six months of life. In reality, some of these babies do receive non-nutritive fluids like water or or some, some uh, other liquids that may not necessarily have a high amount of energy, those are still classified as predominantly breastfed babies. But those two acceptable categories of feeding in the first six months are coupled with babies who are fed things other than breast milk, artificial formulas, animal milk, and sometimes even a premature initiation of solid feeding which is one of the major reasons why many of these babies have high disease burdens. They develop diarrhea. Their intakes are not adequate because many poor families, if they don't breastfeed, are not able to afford high-quality artificial feeds. And, and they tend to dilute them or those feeds get contaminated. So it's a complex issue and it is both reflection of poverty, but it's also a reflection of lack of sufficient attention to population awareness of the importance of exclusive breastfeeding to a child's survival and long-term outcomes. Yes, it is an effect of poverty, but we do also see in many parts of the developed world, countries like the UK, where not many parents do choose to breastfeed. So are we seeing these implications pan out within these Western developed populations also? Absolutely, and not necessarily just in terms of uh, short-term effects on undernutrition, but long-term impacts. So we know that breastfeed babies, even in the developed world, have much better outcomes in terms of body composition. Rates of obesity or being overweight later in life are much lower in babies who are breastfed. We are all aware of the fact that babies who are breastfed have a higher intelligence quotient when you evaluate them at school age. So in terms of developmental outcomes, these babies are better. So there are a host of other outcomes that are important in developed country circumstances. But in the vast majority of developing countries that I was talking about, the 36 countries that have 90% of the global burden of stunting or, or, or nutrition problems, there, not breastfeeding a baby is giving the baby a death sentence in certain cases and also compounding pre-existence assisting disadvantage into high burdens of morbidity. Even in high HIV populations now in developing countries, the evidence that exclusively breastfeeding babies, despite the general recommendation in the past of not breastfeeding them for the risk of contracting HIV, 
is actually beneficial for these babies in terms of survival. And these population-based studies have now shown that very clearly, that even in those babies in developing countries with HIV, breastfeeding is probably the right recommendation. What we've been discussing here is mainly looking at women and children, the effects of undernutrition within them. But what are the wider implications? Are there wider implications beyond young women and children? Absolutely. One of the papers in the series says being undernourished very early or to have intrauterine growth retardation as a fetus even before you're born has lifelong implications in terms of metabolism, in terms of growth, in terms of ability to earn, in terms of education. So at a societal level, in countries where 10, 20, 30 percent of a given population at birth may be underweight, because the mother had chronic energy and micronutrient deficits in pregnancy. In those societies, the implication of this in long-term development and the way they track is enormous. The issues that this study has highlighted here have implications on national and international levels. How can you elaborate on, on that in, for me? In one sentence. No country from the developing or transitional economies has ever made progress in terms of addressing maternal, newborn and child survival without addressing undernutrition. There is not a single population that remains undernourished has yet made progress in maternal, newborn and child survival. That's a fundamental take-home message that countries need to address determinants of survival such as undernutrition head-on if they want to make progress in the short and the long term. That was Zulfika Bhutta from the Aga Khan University in Karachi, Pakistan. Evidence from studies in five countries has identified a critical period in early life when good nutrition is vital, with benefits reaching into adulthood. At a press conference in London, Caroline Fall told Karen Register more about her group's findings just published in The Lancet. You'll see in our um, materials we've presented this morning, we've said from conception to 24 months. And that, that's a very critical period in human development while organs and tissues are still dividing and specialising and becoming fixed. And after that time, they're much more fixed and there's not so much chance to improve the development. I would change our period slightly. I would say from before conception to 24 months. Because if you actually improve the mother's nutrition on the day she conceives, that's not ideal. It's better if she enters pregnancy right from the word go with good nutritional stores. So what impacts have you been seeing in the mother and, and infant? At the moment we've been documenting um, the dire situation of maternal and infant undernutrition. And we've been documenting the link between that and later ill health. What needs to happen now is some very good studies in which that situation is remedied and the outcomes are then assessed. The five cohorts that are presented in the Lancet paper started between 17 and 35 years ago and usually depended on a particular person getting a research project going. At that time they would have been interested in low birth weight. One of those studies was an intervention trial, the one that's been longest running, that was in Guatemala. And the five cohorts in total come to about 12,000 people. So this has a certain amount of weight behind it to 
give actual evidence to the observations made? Yes, I, I think this is very robust evidence. It's the first time all of those data sets have actually been brought together and I'm glad to say that the Wellcome Trust is going to keep this group together because there are other questions we can answer like the breastfeeding issue, we can look at that in relation to later health, we haven't done that yet. We can try and refine this critical period idea by looking at different stages of infancy. And of course, as these people get a bit older, we'll get more hard disease outcomes. They're a bit young at the moment for diabetes and heart disease. That will be happening in the next five to ten years and we'll have more information. Also, it was brought up that weight gain later in childhood has an impact on chronic disease and adult outcomes. Yes, it, it comes out very, very clearly in all of our five cohorts and the same pattern is seen in other cohorts from developed countries. So we're very certain about this, that it's bad news to be undernourished up to the age of two, three, four, five. If after that time, having been undernourished your body is subjected to excess nutrition with the risk of obesity, then you're in a much worse position than if you hadn't had that early period of undernutrition. So it's as if that early period of undernutrition makes you more vulnerable, more sensitive to the later risk factor of the body fat than if you hadn't been undernourished at that time. That was Caroline Fall from the Medical Research Council's Epidemiology Resource Centre at Southampton University. With a third of all child deaths caused by undernutrition, another Lancet article has now assessed interventions which can fight back. At the busy press briefing held in London, Peter Goodwin asked Simon Cousins about the most effective ones. There's nothing very uh, surprising in here. The first thing would be breastfeeding promotion to improve breastfeeding practices, exclusive breastfeeding up to the age of six months and then continued breastfeeding from six months up to about 24 months of age. A second key thing is to improve the complementary foods that are given to children alongside breast milk during that period six to 24 months of age and this may include intervention, counselling interventions, advising mothers what to do. In very poor communities, that may not be enough on its own and it may be necessary to actually provide food supplements or some other strategy to improve families' access to the foods they need. In addition to those, there are um, a couple of micronutrients, which are uh, deficiencies of which are, are major problems, and that, those are vitamin A and zinc. And then in addition to the chronic uh, problem of undernutrition, there's what's called severe acute malnutrition and there are now um, new treatments, uh, new guidelines for treating children with severe acute malnutrition both in hospital and in the community which could reduce the burden of that. What is the difference though in the impact of interventions on things like malnutrition as compared with say controlling diseases? Well, in the review that we did, we included disease control interventions because um, particularly diarrhoea, it's well known that repeated episodes of diarrhoea can have an impact on children's nutritional status. So included in the interventions we would recommend to address 
the problem of undernutrition are disease control interventions. Let me ask you about the first two years of life because we've been hearing here that these are the most important two years. You can do irreparable damage if you don't get the nutrition right in the first two years of life. What can be done and how much of an improvement can be made? Well, I've cited some of the interventions that uh, hold out the promise of having the greatest impact. Essentially, if we were able to deliver these interventions in the countries where this is the greatest problem, we, could, we estimate that we could prevent as much of, as a quarter of all child deaths, not child deaths related to undernutrition, a quarter of all child deaths, and we could reduce the problem of poor growth by about a third. That was Simon Cousins, Professor of Epidemiology and Statistics at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. At the United Nations Children's Fund, Bruce Kogel has been studying the global and international actions needed to save one-third of the world's children from death caused by undernutrition. But Peter Goodwin asked him, could the Lancet series achieve anything? I think it's a really important example of where the scientific community can support these political and economic processes. And we've seen that before with The Lancet in their uh, series on child survival, for example. Those uh, series published several years ago have been instrumental in moving the political agenda forward on addressing child survival and, more importantly, moving resources to support uh, child survival interventions that were clearly articulated in those articles. So, who do you want to stand up and be counted then? Uh, well, there's several groups that need to be counted, certainly, and certainly even made accountable as well. And that's the, uh, the, um, the multilateral agencies, the UN agencies, and what they are doing and should be doing. I think also the, the, the banks, the international banking system, the World Bank, the, the regional banks, uh, and I think uh, in, in your group, uh, universities. Why is it that we have so many articles published on obesity and cardiovascular disease in developing countries which are simultaneously experiencing large levels of, of underweight, of low birth weight, uh, malnutrition in women and children. And that's something that I think the, the research community needs to address very clearly. That was Bruce Kogel of UNICEF talking to Peter Goodwin at the press briefing in London. And after the talks were finished, Sarah Maxwell spoke with Lancet editor Richard Horton. She asked if he was surprised by the findings. I was surprised by several findings in this report. The first one was the sheer scale of the problem. To say that over a third of child deaths in the world, so a third of the 10 million deaths every year, it are caused by poor nutrition is an incredible finding. We tend to think of death being caused by diseases, HIV, AIDS, malaria, TB, whatever it might be. We don't think of nutrition as being a direct cause of death. And yet it is for, you know, three, four million children in the world today. That's a shocking observation. The second surprise to me was this is not just about child health or mother's health. What happens in the first two years of life shapes somebody's entire existence on this planet. If you don't get it right in those first two years, you essentially are responsible for not allowing a human being to flourish, to develop their potential for the rest of their natural life. That's a, another shocking finding. If we could get the first two years right, then we allow a human being to flourish in the most incredible ways for the future. 
If you're thinking about how countries pull themselves out of poverty, it's vital that we do that. So that investment early on is going to make a massive difference. And the third surprise is really just how broken the international system is to deal with nutrition. There's no WHO or UNICEF for nutrition. You know, and so what happens as a result is that nutrition falls through the cracks in the system. Nobody's responsible for it, so nobody does anything about it. What are the real-world interventions that we can put into practice now to make an impact here? Well, internationally, what the report shows is that there are 14 very simple interventions. I mean, they're so simple, it's almost embarrassing and humiliating. It is encouraging breastfeeding. It is getting vitamin A status up. It is getting micronutrients right. Very simple maneuvers that could make a big difference for children and for mothers. And if you got those 14 interventions done today, you could save millions of children's and mothers' lives every year. That was Richard Horton, editor of The Lancet. And that's all from this edition of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine's monthly edition of Audio News. Until next time, from me, Derek Thorne, it's goodbye.